This is an NAC podcast. Welcome to this episode of the National Arts Centre NACO cast series. My name is Sean Rice and I am the second clarinetist with the National Arts Centre Orchestra. This week the orchestra is performing three shows as part of our pop series with the Doo-Wop Project. Here to conduct this week is our principal pops conductor, Maestro Jack Everly. We thought it would be really great to talk with Maestro Everly about his perspectives on music as well as his thoughts on next year's NACO pop season. Thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank <laughs> you, Sean. So. Whenever we talk to a guest on this program, we really like to just dive in immediately to where they started and how they how they got to where they are. So you mean I'm, you do this program with other people? Yeah, the, well, yeah, we had Branford Marcellus here last week, which wow. was kind of cool. All right, no he pressure. <laughs> so I'm I'm curious how you started, um, what what your inspirations were in, in terms of pop repertoire, but also in terms of um, stage and theater, rep, uh, stage and ballet. I know you have experience with ballet, but also. Um, just symphonic orchestra and where the inspiration came from and why you decided to pursue this career path you chose. What I've discovered, I think as most people do as they go through life, is that one thing really does lead to the next, in some ways very surprisingly so. Um, When I was at uh, university, I was studying to be a set designer and piano was my instrument and I somehow knew that when I was going to graduate and move to New York City to pursue a career in musical theater, it would be either set design or somehow conducting. I just mm-hmm. knew it. I had a passion for musical theater, classical music, and it was my parents that introduced me to pop music, if you will, mm-hmm. of that era. And that stayed with me because I knew their, their love of it, and I grew to like it. But it's fascinating that I was the one collecting classical LPs and... Uh, Broadway show albums at that time. Anyway, so I got to New York City, pursued some more studies in set design, and then got a uh, a job as the con- excuse me uh, pianist assistant conductor of a revival of Hello Dolly with Carol Channing, the original Dolly Levi. It was going to be touring and then coming into Broadway and play the Lunt Fontaine. Three months into the tour the conductor decided to go back to Europe and continue his opera career. And having conducted every eighth performance on the road, Carol knew I could handle the show. And she basically pointed to me and said, I want him. (laughs) And that's how I got the job. So there we were on Broadway. I was 26. And uh, the rest is actually history and how one thing leads to another. Mm. That production was co-produced by the Houston Grand Opera as well as the Nederlander organization really? in New York City. Okay. And because of that, they knew my work and they hired me back to do Showboat with Donald O'Connor, blah, 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 blah. So it's, it, it's no really problems. one thing does lead to the next. Yeah. The, uh, you were telling me beforehand that you've just recently done another production of this Hello Dolly, is that? Well, um, interestingly so, I don't think this ever happens. Uh, Carol revived the show again in 1994. And she called me. At that time, I was with American Ballet Theater 
Um, and she called me and said, well, I'm doing this again. We have finished the tour. We're going to now play the Kennedy Center in Washington and then Broadway. And I want you to take over the production. Mm. So I got a sabbatical from American Ballet Theater <laughs> and indeed conducted Hello, Dolly! with Carol Channing once again, all those years later at the same theater, the Lunt Fontaine in New mm. York City. And ironically, it's on Broadway again right about now. <laughs> now, now I'm not conducting it, right, obviously, yeah. <laughs> but it is now starring Bernadette Peters. And Bernadette and I did The Goodbye Girl together, that Marvin Hamlet show mm. based on the film. So I can't wait to see. I'm seeing it next month. Okay. And uh, I hear Bernadette's fantastic. Of course she's fantastic. She's Bernadette Peters. What's she like? Because I, I've, I've only seen her live once, and I was telling you that I've, I've seen the, the videotaped production of Into the Woods. But I've, I yes. saw her do... Um, what was it? It was off Broadway. Um, Send in the clowns. Is that the, what is it? Is that? A little night music. Thank you. Yes. 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 She was Desiree so in that. Yes. So good. Yeah. And and we we all gathered backstage afterwards, hoping to just catch a glimpse of her because it was just like Bernadette Peters, holy smokes. And uh, but she seems so gracious. She is. Yeah. She's a delightful person to work with. Very um, quiet and rather impish in her sense of humor, and of course a major major talent. Mm. And. Uh, I just really had the best time working with her. I adored her. Uh, Goodbye Girl starred Martin Short and Bernadette Peters. So <laughs> cool. there's a combination from uh, chaos, yes. I might add. Uh, Martin is brilliant and one of the funniest people on the planet. And good luck trying to <laughs> get that to, to stay on the ground <laughs> with Martin. He, uh, he loves to cut up. And he used to, his entrance from the orchestra pit every night onto the stage uh, was preceded by one of Bernadette's big ballads. And he would stand there on the staircase coming up from the orchestra pit and look at me. And as Catherine Hepburn would, look, would mime, I'm so confused. <laughs> and he knew it would crack me up every night. And so there I am trying to finish this dramatic song with Bernadette Peters. And he's just looking at me yeah. as Catherine trying Hepburn. Trying to distract and he, you. It worked. <laughs> it worked. That's amazing. Um, okay. I mean, you have an extensive career conducting so, many of the biggest orchestras in their pop series. And, and I'm curious though about your American ballet theater experience. This, 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 because you were there a long time, right? Yeah. 14 yeah. years. Yeah. That's impressive. And <clears throat> I mean, that's not necessarily so different from the, the pops and some of these shows you talk about, but it's a very different way of conducting, right? <laughs> um, yeah, it is. It's, uh, when you're given basically two rehearsals to pull together a three-hour Romeo and Juliet, mm. um, you have to be, well, really concise in your rehearsal technique. You also have to look concise, meaning there can be no nebulous nature about how you're conducting something because in opera, the musicians in the orchestra pit can hear the singer. They right. kind of know where the phrase is going vis-a-vis -vis the singer on stage. Mm -hmm. Not so in ballet. All they can hear is thud every time someone falls. Exactly. <laughs> there is no way of knowing what the tempo is going to be tonight. Mm -hmm. And it does vary with everyone playing. And sometimes these things are quadruple cast. Yeah. Um, so a Romeo one night will be slightly slower or faster than last night's Romeo, etc. It's a little stressful. So, <laughs> yes, it's continually stressful. I mean, we as conductors know what that tempo is about to be, but the orchestra yeah. does not. And yeah. they just simply know, okay, we have to follow. Mm -hmm. They know that. They're fantastic at it. But you have to be concise about that. Yeah, There's a nebulous nature about what you're showing them. Good luck. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um, and then conducting the Romeo and Juliet as opposed to you know, some of these movie scores and, and these huge Broadway productions you, you've been putting together. 
is quite different. I, I want to I want to explore this 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 passion of yours that I perceive to be a passion of yours for for Broadway musicals because every time we, we look at the pop season, you often have these great shows with incredible singers doing revivals of things and 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 uh, repertoire that. Um, that, does, that should be back on the stage if it's not on the stage outside of New York or the, the big cities with Broadway, of course. And um, <clears throat> like I'm looking here for next season and we have Rodgers and Hammerstein. No surprise to me. <laughs> can you can you speak to your to your inspiration for this repertoire and how that all kind of... As I said, when I was a kid, uh, something fascinated me about the music that I would hear from Broadway shows. So I started collecting the albums, etc. And it's never cease to be a passion of mine. Mm. Um, when these things are all somehow singable from your heart as a metaphor, and that just um, means everything to me, whether it's comedy or lo a love song or whatever, um, or inspirational, they're singable. The lyricism is undeniable, and it's the sort of thing that stays with you when you leave the theater. Anyway, um, what's so special about next year's Rodgers and Hammerstein celebration is that we're using the orchestrations from the films, mm -hmm. which is a very different opulent symphonic sound from the theater orchestrations, which are perfectly wonderful, but very different yeah. because there's a whole different approach to how you orchestrate for um, a Broadway pit as opposed to the 70-piece orchestra at 20th Century Fox. Right. And it's so quote-unquote the Hollywood sound. Well, it is the Hollywood yeah. sound. Yeah. And, and, and so often with Rodgers and Hammerstein, it's also the Alfred Newman sound at 20th Century Fox. He mm -hmm. was their music director there, and he and the Ken Darby singers created sounds for all of the Fox films and especially for the Rodgers and Hammerstein mm -hmm. musicals. Um, what they did with South Pacific is exquisite. Mm -hmm. Um, they were also responsible for so many others. Um, Newman was even hired over at Universal when they did the Flower Drum song because they mm -hmm. knew they wanted that sound. And what uh, Newman did for The King and I, mm -hmm. unbelievable, mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. exquisite. It's it's interesting because in my my few years here now, I haven't been here too long in the, with this orchestra, but I've noticed we do we're doing a lot more movies, and then we have Wizard of Oz next yeah. year with live orchestra. Um, we we did the. Uh, American in Paris this year, which was a, a huge, this was last year, right? Uh, this season? Yeah. We, we're doing a lot more movies with orchestra. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I'm curious, uh, what's your what's your thought and your, your inspiration for wanting to have these done in, on our season? Well, I love this as well very, very much. Um, the studio orchestras, uh, even uh, especially in the golden age of Hollywood, which is considered 40s, 50s, and then tapering in the 60s, were... Um, very large symphony orchestras. Hmm. Um, I think the minimum size was 50, and that was at MGM. And the others were larger, especially as stereophonic tracks came in mm -hmm. to Hollywood. They became larger, and uh, the microphoning situation uh, changed a lot at that time. Strangely enough, when they recorded The Wizard of Oz in 1938, it was in stereo. And that's, of course, way in advance of mm -hmm. anything actually being released in stereo. They did it simply to clarify what they would mix down to the mono sound soundtrack. So when you see the complete Wizard of Oz on CDs, if you still buy those as I do, um, you, will, you will find <laughs> certain tracks actually in stereo. Mm. And this is from 1938. That's impressive. It is. Yeah. So um, I love film with orchestra as a combination because it 
finds a different demographic uh, for the audience. And, uh, for example, the Harry Potter films. We've had so many people all over North America writing in and saying, this was the best possible combinations, combination of experiences for my children, for me, because I grew up reading the Potter novels, mm-hmm. seeing the films, then with my children, they are now practicing their instruments. Now they hear it live with the symphony mm-hmm. orchestras, see their favorite stories on the screen, and now they're excited about music all over again. So, I mean, that's the that's best really cool. possible combination yeah. of things, and that's yeah. why I love it. That's really cool. And that's that's talking about John Williams' music, too, in the early films, oh, especially. Yeah. I mean, I know it's his themes throughout the rest of the movies, but I think it was orchestrated by, by other people later on in the later films. That's but, true, yes. Um, <clears throat> we were talking a little bit just before we started recording this this podcast about, uh, you said you had just done E.T., and I was flipping out about how much I love that movie and that score and yeah. begging begging you to <laughs> see if we could ever do it here in the near future. Well, it's a great, <laughs> it's a great film, and it's, it's something that still works on every level. Um, I will drop a name here. I was speaking to John Williams a few weeks ago, Mm. and he said, you know, that's probably one of his very favorite scores of anything he's ever written and one of his favorite films. He was viewing it um, prior to its release, if you will, for live orchestra and film presentations. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, it's something that um, they got so right with the casting especially. Mm. He said, those children are so perfect and so spontaneous and it's so real that you still buy 1,000% every scene in the film. Yeah. And it's still funny. It's still moving. Uh, I mean, I've seen it because I've been studying it and performing it for so many years now. Every time I still laugh and I still cry yeah. at certain moments. I grew up with that film and I, I, yeah. it's, I, it's, it's holds su- I have such a dear place in my heart for it. I love yes. that movie. Yeah, It's brilliant. Great film. Um, <clears throat> so uh, n- next season as well, we have Cirque again. Is this different from the last time we did Cirque de Symphony? Yes. It's different, okay? Yes, very much so. It's a, a marvelous combination of uh, Broadway repertoire and singers and the orchestra and, of course, these superb artists of uh, Cirque Vertigo. And they're based in Los Angeles and they are just incredible. So you can thrill to the music and you can also <laughs> thrill to someone being suspended over the stage and good luck. And we're going to play, we're going to, I see here we have music from Wicked West Side Story in Chicago. Well, of course. The people are going to flip out over that. Wicked is a great musical. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Wonderful score by Stephen Schwartz. It mm, really is. It's, it's really fun. Um, this is, looks like a great season already. I mean, of course it is. You, 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 when you put your hands on this, well, wrong. So. We, we always get excited to see what, what you got what got in the store for the pop season. Um <clears throat> Any any interesting projects that you're doing right now? Because I know that you sometimes when you talk to our audience from the stage, you often bring up uh, things that you've you researched, you found, and you always tell these fascinating stories about how. Uh, forgive me, I forget which company it was, but it's the one where the scores were just tossed out. Metro Goldwyn Mayer, yeah. MGM, and you speak about this with such with yeah. such passion, and and I wonder if we could talk about that a little bit because I think it's important for people to realize how much work you've done in helping to revive all of this repertoire that, that for all intents and purposes, is gone. Yeah, um, it was um, a rather, in musical circles anyway, it's a rather well-known tragedy that happened in California. Um, all the studios were crashing and burning in the six, starting in the 60s. Um, things were just changing drastically, and they didn't know how to cope. Meaning, uh, for example, there was um, a lawsuit brought that made... Hollywood studios divest themselves from the f- cinemas they owned mm-hmm. all over North America. 
And so there suddenly wasn't a guaranteed distribution arm with the film companies. Also, audiences were becoming smaller because of television and other things. Um, facets of pop culture were changing drastically. And the audiences were diminishing, uh, thus the desperation in Hollywood. And the whole studio system collapsed. And the orchestras went with them. They suddenly divested themselves from symphony mm-hmm. orchestras. Lots of things happen. MGM was purchased by, um, well, we'll just, they, let's let them remain nameless. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very sad. Mm-hmm. And instead of giving this incredible music library to University of Southern California, for example, they came in one night and put it into garbage bags just to clear the shelves and tossed it. So it's landfill somewhere mm-hmm. in Hollywood. No one knew, no one was able to save it. And orchestra parts, orchestra scores, all of this from the very beginnings of MGM were trashed and never to be seen again. Mm. So tragically, if you want to perform these great scores, especially from the film musicals, which were mostly original, by the way, Mm -hmm. you have to reconstruct them. And that's and no small feat. That no, it's not. Amount of work. Uh, what does exist is, um, are piano copies mm-hmm. because they had to keep those to re-edit. Um, and that's a sad story, but at least we're aware of it, right. and we try to keep this stuff out there and being performed. Well, you're quite a you're quite an advocate for this because a lot of the stuff we do is often stuff you've you've t- talked about having helped. Uh, inspire recreation for are you are you actually involved in the recreation process yourself in the in the reorchestration the arrangements of, of some, several of these for example an American in Paris yeah. was reconstructed <clears throat> by John Wilson yes um, the producer of that film uh, John Goberman also did singing in the rain the Wizard of Oz mm. and an American in Paris uh, Paris is the the latest in John Goberman's uh, series of film with live orchestra okay. Um so it's John Wilson in London who yep. reconstructed that entire score, which I have to say, um, as I mentioned earlier, John is, I think, just a genius and has great musical taste. He's also a conductor and has his own orchestra in London, mm-hmm. and his C- CDs are incredible. Um, that's, that's how you have to approach this these days. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I, you know, I... I that that playing that score was very challenging mm-hmm. uh, for for me personally as as a performer. I found that score very me too, <laughs> very complex. And also that scene where they quote the third movement of the the concerto in F by Gershwin. Oh yes, oh, it's so cool. Well, it is especially I grew up <laughs> the on the tempo on, on that is ridiculous. Oh my yeah, God. it's insane. <laughs> I grew up on uh, Oscar Levant's recordings of uh, Rhapsody in Blue and Concerto in F and the Preludes, and I knew him um, from when my parents used to see the Jack Parr show on television. Mm. I uh, he was a favorite guest of Jack Parr, and uh, Jack Parr is how the Tonight Show began, for example. Anyway, so we all knew that Oscar had this eccentric personality, and then I started reading Oscar's uh, books, which are quasi-biographical. Uh, okay. And then you realize, okay, he was one of the first people we knew of that was ADD or ADS, and 
uh, took a lot of drugs to get through it really? and okay. was cursed and blessed all at the same time by this eccentric, brilliant personality. Mm. And of course, he was a colleague of George Gershwin's. So there I was hearing Oscar's recordings of this thing, of all these compositions, and I realized that's even how George would have played them. Really? So okay. to have Oscar on the screen in An American in Paris playing the concerto in F, no matter how abbreviated it might be. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, it was a a comic turn as well, because right. as you'll remember, Oscar was uh, photographed as being every musician in the orchestra. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. Uh, including, of course, the piano part. solo and the conductor. <laughs> and he played the tam-tam. And it's hysterical. <laughs> and, and the guy screaming bravo in the box. I know. <laughs> it's, it's so good. He, it was, that was Oscar's idea. Um, he was afraid the concerto wasn't going to be utilized. And when he suggested the comic approach to it, mm-hmm. to uh, Arthur Freed, the producer, Arthur said, oh, that's a great idea. That's my favorite scene in the movie, actually. except for the, the beautiful dance sequence at the end, which is yeah, a different yeah. flavor, but the, the, totally. it's so, so funny. Yes. What always amuses me with uh, musicians and rehearsing on uh, the film of An American in Paris is we all think we know the tone poem, mm-hmm. right? Well, we don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been totally yeah. uh, taken apart, put back together, reorchestrated, and those tempos, as you know, are oh. unbelievably fast. Unbelievable. You actually think that's how Gershwin would have played it too, that speed? I don't know. I know. Of course. That's a, Sorry, that's a very unfair question. But <laughs> I didn't know, George. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Sorry. It's, uh, I'm, I'm curious about these things because that, that tempo is absolutely lights out. Well, as far as the concerto goes, that is the tempo that George often played it at as well as Oscar. Mm -hmm. American in Paris, I don't think so. Right, okay. I mean, no one plays it at that tempo when they do the tone poem, of course. Yeah. Um, But I have to say it works uh, thanks to, of course, Conrad Salinger's orchestration, Mm. which is brilliant. Really, really thick and awesome. Yes. Yeah, so good. Um, So you mentioned Wizard of Oz. Is this, this is also the same producer? Uh, John Goberman, yes, yes okay. it's one of his films, okay. correct? Good. Uh, this is um, when Herbert Stothert was the music director at MGM, and Herbert won the Oscar for his score, his treatment of the themes from various sources, including the songs mm-hmm. by uh, the great Harold Arlen, of course. Cool. Oh, it's going to be a great season next season. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking exciting. forward to it. Yeah. Um, what are you up to in the in the near future besides connecting us this week? Any cool projects that you're doing elsewhere with other orchestras? Oh, we're we're thinking about lots of things. Yeah, all uh, over. things that things that we can't discuss. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's always a process and a wonderful one to discuss the future seasons wherever I'm going to be or currently am at pardon that horrible English and um, (laughs) it's wonderfully creative and to work with the incredible people here at the National Arts Center uh, which includes frankly the marketing and publicity departments because they help guide us in what the public wants and the public is also marvelous because they respond and they communicate with us Mm -hmm. and tell us what they would like to see what they would probably not like to see again (laughs) also i might add and that's really helpful that's good it really is yes we do we want the feedback and i think that's a marvelous thing well i know as a member of the orchestra we absolutely love when you're in town and we love looking forward to what you program and love working with you it's a it's always a great pleasure well thank you it's it's not only a pleasure, but it's it's an honor to be here. Well, we, we feel similarly about you. So thanks for doing this today. It was very great welcome. to have you come in and talk about it. This has been a National Arts Center podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media.
send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store, where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NEC podcasts at necpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre. Thank you.